Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Excited for another episode of Around the Coin. Today's guest is Kenton Prescott, the CEO of Sense Finance. Kenton has previously worked at the MakerDAO Foundation, where he was an engineer for over a year, and he started Sense Finance, which Sense is directed at building a decentralized, permissionless, fixed income protocol where teams can build and develop uh, new yield primitives for DeFi. So we define exactly what all that means. We talked about yield curves, some more nuanced DeFi considerations. We talked about Celsius. We talked about uh, the implosion of the Luna project and stablecoins, generally speaking, specifically algorithmic stablecoins and how they work and what the risks are. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Very, very smart guy. The project is well-funded. They've raised about $5 million, um, small team, and extremely interesting conversation. So I hope you enjoy. Here is Kenton Prescott. All right, so just like that, Kenton, we are live and recording. Uh, congrats on all the progress so far. Um, yeah, I'd love to just dive right into it. You started a pretty cool project called Sense Finance. Um, you're a pretty young guy. It seems like the first like project that you've led on your own, but you've had experience in crypto uh, at the Maker Foundation. H- how did you sort of parse out the industry and the opportunity when you started early on? Was it? Did you sort of see a trend in how things were going and felt like you had a, enough knowledge, skill set, network, insight to build it? Or what was the early founding story? Yeah, yeah. So so I I was at the Mahaker Foundation for a few, a few, a few. And um, at Maker, for those that who don't know, uh, Maker is a is a protocol that enables or, or that creates the dice states this stable whole coin. And the way that it's created and destroyed is through uh, the use of over collateral highs loans. And so every loan that someone has um, has a fee on it. And um, early, um, early, um, we realized after the launch of 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 the Maker Protocol, we 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 realized that there was a lot of volatility in those fees. And so just thinking about ways to hedge that volatility and to give borrowers fixed rates was our first like like exercise into like what the fixed income space in DeFi looks like. Um, the history back in in back in in back in and the fixed income spaces was nascent then it's still nascent now. 
Um, but we, we realized actually that the, that the mechanism that we were using to enable fixed rates in make or vaults, that could actually be applied elsewhere. So we basically um, generalized that. We applied it to other like yield uh, bearing opportunities in the TFI space. And so now anyone can get, or the like goal is that anyone will be able to get, a, will be able to get, a, will be able to get any yield bearing asset hmm. with sense. So and T TFI being traditional finance. Oh, sorry, DeFi. So oh, DeFi, de- decentralized finance. Uh, for quick, just familiar. Um, but I can give a super quick, like one sentence TLS since TLS is um, a. A collection of, of various products and services that live in a decentralized context, um, and that also are like financial primitives too. So, borrowing and lending, exchange, um, stable like assets, all of those things are are available in the TFI world. Hmm. Uh, and, and give me a sense for where uh, Maker Foundation is, I guess, today, and where they were when you were working there. Yep. So Maker, the Maker Foundation was the entity that employed me as well as like 60 other employees. Its its goal was to create the Maker protocol and, and bootstrap the initial development and like liquidity and just excitement around the MakerDAO project. Um, the foundation has since dissolved. And most of the employees are actually working for the DAO. It's the DAO. It's the DAO. A DAO stands for decentralized autonomous organizations. Is, is, is. Um, and Maker as like a project has over six billion like DAI outstanding, and they have like fifty plus contributors to the DAO itself. So it's actually thriving as like a as like a cryptocurrency central bank on chain. So it's quite exciting. Hmm. And do you think of it as structurally unique, uh, or maybe ask how how do you see it as structurally unique from as a stablecoin from the other popular stablecoins like Tether, USDC, yep, whatever yeah, else. So yeah, so it's a great cool question actually. Um, so Maker is um, there are trade offs that that the Maker DAO system has made. Um, in the direction of being more, being less, uh, 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 I'm sorry, more decentralized, less censorship resistant, but in turn is less capital efficient. So uh, the way that Maker works and die works is that every die is backed by at least $1 worth of a basket of some assets. And, and the at least is like a cushion, right? So if you have like $200 worth of ETH, you're able to mint like $100 worth of DAI using that ETH as collateral. And that is way less capital efficient than say a USDT or a USTC, which requires only $1 worth of Bahab, Bahab, Bahab in, and that's outstanding. And so... But at the same time, like a any any actor, like like there's greater counterparty risk that exists, right? And so you like can't have this like access to a stable coin without 
having to also accept some of that counter priority risk too. And the risk being that the value of the ether in this case drops below the value of the stablecoin. Yes. Yeah. So, so that has the risk in like the maker DAO land and um, maker actually has a cool way of discharging like assets um, that are drawn at centralized exchange. Um, then if the value of their portfolio drops um, faster than, the, than their debt, then that position will be the collateral thereof would be grabbed and then slabbed and then slabbed. So that's what maker does. And it's just simply to ensure that the value of the collateral is never less than the amount of die outstanding. Mm. And how about recently? Uh, there's been a lot of decrease in air all across the board cryptocurrencies. Has this shaken the core of the this this way of creating stable coins, like by pegging them to or backing them by other cryptocurrencies? Is the DAO team like on edge, or have they? <laughs> it, does it break the system at all? It has certainly stressed. It, it has stress tested all of TFI. Um, back in 2020 March, there was like the global like tw- the 2020 pandemic recession that stressed Maker probably most, um, and that and that stress test also happened like within this last month. Um, there's been a drawdown in asset prices. There was the there was there was. No, so sorry, not Heather. There was the the Terra, um, come come, um, and so Terra was an algorithmic stablecoin that only was backed by the governance coin that controlled it. So, like Maker is a stablecoin backed by like a diversified basket, right? Or like ideally, like eventually, it will be this diversified basket of like assets, right? It could be bonds, it could be. St- like U.S. stock, it could be crypto assets, Bitcoin, etc. Terra was backed by the governance coin that that holds it, and it's it's what what actually happened is that the there was concern, like the the uh, the Terra stablecoin was like thirteen billion dollars worth of value a month ago, and it actually depegged, and that depegging. Essentially created a death a death spiral, um, and the project has since blown up. So it's um, it's certainly like the recent drawdown has certainly like stress tested all of TFI out there, and it's uh we're actually just now we're actually just now actually the remains of it actually. So why 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 was it a technical or algorithmic hiccup somehow uh, in that it depegged? Like what 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 do you understand the technicalities of what happened? I. I would be able to, I'll give a few comments, but I will caveat saying that like I'm, I'm nowhere near like the, the, the expert here. Um, but it, it does, it has something to do with the game theory behind it. Um, game theory being like, it's an algorithmic staple whole coin. That's what terror was. And there's like, when things go bad, there is no, there, there's no force that 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 corrects the outcome. It actually, like every force, is going in the exact opposite to action, and that's exiting the system. And the only system, and the only system is like 
by exiting, you actually decrease the value of the governance coin. And that just decreases the confidence of the stable coin itself. So it's just a, it's like a, it, again, it's, it's called a death spiral. And it's a, an, 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 an system to like build and like hope, hope scale or hope that it scales because of just how uh, fragile it is. Hmm. Do you think it was, I mean, in hindsight, 2020, but when the team is building this, clearly a lot of sophisticated investors put money in, you know, I'm sure a lot of unsophisticated investors did as well. But was there a takeaway? Like, do you feel the industry is and people are more knowledgeable, their mental models are better, they have a more sophisticated outlook because of like, did we learn something about how to assess these projects. I, I haven't observed that sentiment, but I'm curious if that is something you've, you feel like people at least have learned what went wrong specifically so that it doesn't happen yeah, again. Yeah. I think that, I think that, the, so, so what's interesting is that there have already been attempts to what Terra has built in the past. Um, there was a project called, I think it was called Bitcoin shares or some, some, something shares. And this was, this, this predated die actually many of the like founding team and like founding architects came from this like BTC shares, um, project. I'm, I'm forgetting the, the name now and I'm just, it's unfortunate, but, but that used an algorithmic stablecoin design and it ultimately he failed. Um, that has not been the only project that has failed that's followed this exact same T design. It, 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 it's a senior age share or it's, it's not senior age shares, but it's like, it could be similar to, to that though. And it's, I think that it, it's, I don't imagine that an algorithmic stablecoin of the size is going, is, or an algorithmic stablecoin is going to reach the size that it did probably ever again, but it is still the holy grail of, um, DeFi financial engineer fanatics. Like it's the whole he, he grow. Yeah. The, the use like a partially reserved or like a fractional reserve of value to back something else. So yeah, mm. hopefully that, that gives you a view. I, uh, yeah. I, I gave you just more of a brain dump. So I hope you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I can't appreciate the sophisticated challenges in creating an algorithmic stablecoin, it would seem to me that it's simpler than it comes off as. But again, that's because I don't understand why it's so difficult. It it seems like if you could get reliable access via API to all the different fiat currencies that are out there, it, could you, I mean, again, I'm just talking out of my ass here, but it seems like you could, in theory, uh, maybe it's a technical limitation or it's a reliance and security issue where you have to somehow gather the data off chain. Um, and therefore, if you're building strictly an algorithmic stablecoin on chain, maybe the issue is how do you communicate and pull back the data that's off chain to get a sense for mm -hmm. where the world mm -hmm. is? Is that kind of the central tenet or the central idea as to why algorithmic stablecoins are so difficult is getting reliable, safe, secure data on chain from mm. the outside mm. world is very so difficult. It, 
it, it's not it's not that actually um it is uh there are like systems that have been built that can that can reliably port information from from the off-chain world on chain the problem is building a system that relies heavily on game theory so in the event you have two actors and something happens something happens something right um what 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 do these actors do when they don't know what the other person is doing right this is a classic like prisoner dilemmas problem and turns out both actors should be doing one thing i.e buying back the currency when it's below peg but what they actually do is they want to exit and and they want to both exit at the same time and and fear is what drives the collapse of of these platforms there's no actor that is isolated from that and so that 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 is my educated my my non-educated guess so (laughs) yeah 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 it seems like game theory i think of positive feedback loops like what you were talking about earlier that uh it's you would it's difficult to evaluate the what it's difficult to reconcile what the price of a stable currency should be or the value of it if everyone's trying to leave it or if everyone's trying to get in it at the same time. You know, when the water's even keel, that's easy. But then, of course, when you put the stress test on it, it's more difficult. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like the most reliable source is like an audited bank account that just has U.S. dollars in it. I mean, that's that seems to be what works the right. best today. Oh, oh, right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 U.S. dollar is a fr- fractional, like it's it's built upon a fractional a fractional reserve like system itself. But 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 I think there are other f- forces though that allows it to thrive, and like it just has the biggest network effect in the world, and it's used as like govern. It's used to pay taxes, and it's. I think that like I am if. If I was very barely like knowledgeable about USTT, I'm, I'm I or, or not USTT, but U, 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 UST, which was he, which was he. I'm even less so more on like the 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 US banking system, but but it's the network effects that that allows it to to stay king in terms of like this the stability of it. So, um, one thing I will say is that. So long as like DeFi exists, and so long as like people are able to like b- like come up with these insane ideas, uh, attempts will always be made. And I think that like that's a blessing and a curse. The curse is that like there will be future projects that fail, and people are going to lose money. Unfortunately, let's hope that it it never happens again t- t- to the size that we just saw. The the great thing though is that. DeFi offers a, an amazing like ecosystem where people can build and experiment and like try new things. And I think that like that is just not something that we have seen yet. Mm, mm. Uh, do you anticipate a, a backlash? Have you seen any? Um, I mean, is are is three thirteen billion dollars effectively just? moved around and people are now without it. Do you think reasonably there'll be a negative reaction, uh, either from regulatory wise or like, we'll just, 
maybe the depression in the crypto prices is from this, it, at least in part. Um, it would seem to me that you can't just collapse a project this big and then right. move on. It would like there's some reaction. Right, right, right. The, the, there have been comments from um, from Janet Yellen. There have been comments from like other like politicians out there. Or, or I, I, I haven't been following those as much. I, I know that that the founder Do Do uh, Do Kwan. Are you familiar with him? Have you seen him online? Yeah, just on Twitter. Yeah, he's a he is an interesting character. Incredibly. Uh, <laughs> like and just like like it is it's it's much easier to like be a be against like typically when a project like fails like the world is not against them when they're down but like do kwan was probably like one of the most arrogant people on crypto twitter that it's like not hard like it's it's easy to like kind of kick them down i'm not doing this yeah. of course but um, in any case, there are, there, there have been, um, I think that there is like, I, I, I can't make a comment to it, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's like pending legal action that's being explored now. There um, has to be, has to, there has to be, um, you can't, I mean, it's free to sue people. So <laughs> when people lose, you know, hundreds of thousands or however much people had, Millions, you know, it's just going to happen. Yeah, I think the same is true with with you know Celsius, another major project that's right in the middle of it. Right, a, the a similar kind of collapse on on DeFi. Well, it, Celsius is kind of even more interesting because they are more opaque. You don't really, we didn't know exactly what they were doing with the funds. Right. You know, like speculate. They're kind of in this middle ground of a between a bank and between DeFi and like centralized on-chain world but it's to me it's not they don't embody the the re the really exciting parts of crypto they're they're more like they're more like a hedge fund that just invests in crypto <laughs> and then gives you a return on that and kind of has a facade whereas i think what you're interested in more so is around the on-chain trading and an on-chain yield and, and DeFi, yes. which I, I think you would agree is more certainly more transparent and probably much more secure or at least much more le much less likely to go to zero in something like this. Yes, yes, yes. So yes, a few comments on that one. Actually, uh, you, you, you asked earlier about the like drawdown from the Luna collapse. And so Luna uh, or, or Luna, Luna being the there was a foundation that like oversaw called the LFG. They like they like they were established to basically defend the peg. And they purchased Bitcoin to defend that peg. And so they tried they actually sold like billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. Uh, and and uh, to uh, to um to no success. So I think that like that actually was big sell big sell big sell the price of Bitcoin when this was happening. Um regarding Celsius, the to be honest, I actually haven't really been following along Celsius as much. Um, I, I, I guess they they offer they offer a high yield to retail investors. Is is it basically that? Yeah, I think they. It's not not as much that they're you have the right the right mechanics correct, but they don't try to make a spread on between what they're buying and selling. They just have a 
payback token. Like, mm. uh, it's not even a governance token. It's just a, I guess you could pot- potentially say it is, but it's just a token that they made that if you'd like to get paid your interest in sell their token, you can make 10% instead of 7% on ah. you know, token. So that, and, and of course they own the value of sell, I'm sure the founding team and investors. And so they drive that price up, but that has gone down to the ground. So right. not a good situation over there. Right. Um, right. right. And maybe that makes DeFi stronger. I mean, is, do you interpret it as that? Or is it just too cloudy for most people to parse out the difference between the different projects? Yeah, no, I think it, de- I think it, de- I think actually, if it, it, if it was that you would get an incentive from, from whole, whole holding self, and there are some like reflexive attributes to it, right? Where like reflexive being like, like, not like a Ponzi per se, but like Ponzi-ish and like, like presumably if you bought more sell then you may you may get a higher yield right like that has what i'm guessing and so like you you're encouraged to like buy up more horse sell and reduce the float that that it that exists out on the market and so therefore like the constraining supply means that the price will go up but it, the same thing happens in the reverse direction as well so um there's a project out there called olympus and it actually like some have claimed that Olympus has Ponzi-ish like, attributes as well. And the great thing about Olympus is that it's all on chain. And, mm. and, and to, to your question on like, is there like, what's the benefit of DeFi or DeFi or DeFi? Well, it's just that it's, it's just that it's, it's just, and there's more accessibility. I think that like, those are the core offerings of what DeFi um, gives um, and it, it, it like, I won't go too deep into the market stru- or into the microstructure of it, but if you have markets that are tr- transparent, um, that are, that are, yeah, tr- tr- transparent and audit- auditable by everyone, then markets become more efficient. Uh, prices are more, are better priced. And I think that like liquidity levels, um, are just g- 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 generally more healthy if every market participant is like aware of where, uh, um, yeah, and TFI offers all of that too. Mm. Are you, h- how do you split your time? Are you all in on Sense Finance? Do you advise other projects or how does, and, and just as a sense of scale, I think you guys have raised about 6 million, somewhere in that range. So I imagine a team size of somewhere around 10 plus is that like yeah i'd love to learn more like what, what's the size scale traction yeah. direction of sense yep, yep yep so so sense has um we announced the project back project back project we've been building it since april um we're a team of six with one part-time so team of seven and um that's been because we we we've been pre-pmf so we haven't convin- convinced ourselves, like even though there's usage around sense, we haven't convinced ourselves that PMF has been reached yet. And so um, we've been purposefully staying small and just relentlessly focused on finding top talent before, before scaling. Um, so, yeah. Um, and then how do you, yeah. And then, and then my time as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm all in on sense. So, uh, yeah, yeah. 
the last 10 years, over $100 billion worth of crypto has been lost or stolen, specifically because of poor key management, scams, and hackers. Forget not your keys, not your crypto. Software and hardware wallets have both the same vulnerability, that a single private key can be lost, hacked, or simply just misplaced. My new sponsor, the Zengo Crypto Wallet, is a total game changer, bringing wallet security to a whole new level. You have to check out Zengo, an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which has, just until now, only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. So Zengo, most secure Web3 wallet, is the best place to keep your crypto, NFTs, and assets secured. It's also fully recoverable using their biometric recovery system, and it's also just beautiful. Get started at Zengo.com and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's Zengo.com, code ATC for $20 back on your purchase of $200 or more. So yeah, catching us back up. So we were diving into DeFi, talking about Sense specifically, Team of Seven, pre-product market fit. I'm I'm interested in how does the DeFi protocol slash project get product market fit, and specifically, what do you what's the milestone or the checkpoint that you look at marching towards? Yep, yep, yep. So PMF in DeFi is interesting. Um, constantly, there is an immense amount of interest that comes from users that, that is purely being driven by some expectation of, a, of an airdrop, mm-hmm. right? And so that, that influences their actions. Tremendous, tremendous, um, what like a, a, an action that they would not otherwise do in the past is now done because they're expecting that they would receive a financial reward. It's not being driven by their own problem be, being solved. And so that is something that we've, been really like we like we the line very carefully we have not announced like any airdrop plans we don't we we don't have like public plans for a governance to- token um and we're doing everything that we can to remove to to remove the amount of noise that could exist in a token world and so um and, and, and so really it's it's just what is P- pmf well it's it's solving a problem, 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 and it's so- solving them. It, it's it's giving people the thing that they they want. It's making something that they that they want, and so ensuring that we have like KPIs that gives us a, a proxy for for what that level of interest is and like need is 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 we will, that we are just consistently um, interested in. Mm. And h- how do you think about the type of unique demographic that you'd first want to go after with Sense? Of course, you can go beyond that, but like, who's the early real user that gets value from from it? Yep, yep. So, so there are uh, there are three types of users within Sense. Um, one is uh, people who want to lend their assets for fixed interest rates. There are on the on the other side, there is people who want to like buy variable rates, like cash flows to variable rates. So we call them yield traders. 
So they're taking directional long short bets on future yields of yield bearing assets. Um, and then finally, in between it are the LPs. So LPs are the liquidity providers that, that, that give the, their assets. And the first two actors have the ability to enter and, and exit their positions with the existence of LPs. So, um, so actually that um, p- people that want to get fixed rates are they value interest rate stability. So these are these are DAOs that 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 get a fixed yield on their treasury and they want to match future future liabilities of known sizes. Um, on the future yield side, you have quants and funds that are more, more or less like pricing in like they, they, they are they they have their own they have their own they have models that allow them to like have a good understanding of where interest rates will go and so they're able to make like intelligent bets lps lps want a competitive yield and um over the past like several months since launch we've been doing everything that we can to just further unblock um unblock the core value prop that each user is able to grasp uh, through the use of a f- uh, focus on infrastructure so that means like creating um lp positions that are more capital if efficient we we want to give lps more yield so rather than have one asset that has not earning yield and the other one that is let's ensure that both assets are earning yield at all times um, um, like the, that, that is just one example of the, of the infrastructure, like improvements that we've been um, focused on over the past six months. Mm. And how, when you think about when you think about this, do you think about uh, do, do you think about this from a high level macro landscape perspective? Saying, okay, these are the seven or eight major protocols and projects that have a lot of attention, a lot of capital. These are the different positions that each of them are sort of competing for or the market, you know, demographic that they're competing for. And then, and then you kind of look at it from a high level and say, this is where we can slot in. Like we can go after the very wealthy, uh, unsophisticated investor and be really safe and have that value proposition. Or it can be, we can build the most complex trading tool and we could target like professional daytime traders. Mm. This would be more like, um, a user demographic m- overview positions like strategy conversation uh, or or do you look at it as hey let's build a bunch of stuff test it and figure out what sticks is there a <laughs> an approach that you feel that comes most natural to you and the team both yeah both yeah 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 we we there are a bunch of DAOs out there that are sitting on like the cumulative size of tries of tri treasuries in TFI is north of five billion dollars and much of this capital is not earning any not earning any not earning productive whatsoever and i think that there's like it will take time but these DAOs need like once they become comfortable with earning yield i think that the next the, the logical next step is becoming com- comfortable with earning fixed rates mm. um and so that's like, that's one, um, yeah, no, that, that, that has really, it's, it's a, 
a, a strategy that we have been exploring. And mm. we, we think that as the, as the, as like DAO infrastructure and DAO treasury management matures, um, there is going to be a, um, a, a, like more and more interest in fixed income. Mm. Every like treasury management strategy in TradFi incorporates fixed income in some way. And so this is, we, we just, like, it's an, it's an inevitable trend. It's just a matter of when, not if. Mm. And if we can help at sense, if we can help to, um, make that transition faster, smoother with a soft landing, like, then that is what we're most excited, excited about. And do you see it as specifically targeting these, the treasuries of the DAOs as that's, um, kind of a unique enough market to go after in the short term. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yes. DAOs are, they have, a, they have, they have to, they have a head count and they're paying for, for sal- salaries for the next year. Right. And they want to basically match like future liabilities. It's yeah. They want to match future liabilities with like known cash flows and, um, and so they're actually willing to pay up, willing to pay up, willing to yield. And if you have a premium for fixed yield, then you can basically give that premium to the communities of these DAOs. So like, that's the, that's the like sh- broad strategy that we are exploring now. It's, it's a, it's called ducks. It stands for the DAO upside community sale. So it's basically DAOs are saying, Hey, like we, we'd like to sell our future cash flows for capital upfront and we could use that for either matching other like future liabilities or we could use it for other like activities and the person taking the other side of that trade would be the community members that want to buy a discounted like a discounted cash flow stream so Mm. gotcha gotcha and does the like product market fit and overall strategy going after DAOs does it uh does it get affected strongly by ups and downs in the market, or do you look at it as so strategic that you're just you're just banking on DAOs growing, the number of DAOs growing, and it's kind of a like how, how does the uh, how is the ups and how is the downs specifically impacted you guys? Is it significant so, or mildly? So 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 the the market drawdown indirectly leads to smaller yield, mm-hmm. right? Many of the yield sources are driven by token emissions. They're driven by leveraging, like lever longing on a token price. And this has all led to high, led to high, levels, higher, like yield aggregator yield rates, such as like on urine. And now that the market market is down leverage the appetite for leverage is down the token prices are down um and that's going to lead to just a little le- smaller yield and less volatility in the yield as well so we we expect that the like breath that sense was meant to serve and still is me- meaning to serve like the 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 breath is being reduced and and we we expect this to happen always. Like in bear markets, the breadth is reduced. There are less yield opportunities, less volatility, etc. But the depth 
is increased. And so we are relentlessly focused on um, cash flow streams that are unaffected by market prices, at least directly. Um, and so the the main one is staking yields. So the yield earned from securing a network such as Ethereum, right? Are you, you're familiar with ETH2 yields? Um, I, I thought, no, tell me uh, ETH2 is not out now and it keeps getting pushed back. That's all I, that's all I know about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, you're very accurate. That, that is basically it. Um, it, in the next six, six months, um, there will be a transit, will be a transit, will be a, um, from proof of work to proof of stake. And that is that transitions of the consensus algorithm that manages the Ethereum blockchain. When that transition happens, um, all the mining equipment that has been used to like be a miner is going to become obsolete. Wow. And now those that want to become a miner in ETH2 um, will, will be basically fronting some stake. Uh, they are staking their Ethereum and their Ethereum and their Ethereum on top. And so this yield is more or less the yield that secures the Ethereum blockchain. And what's so cool about this is that every it, it should be um, it should be the risk-free rate for ETH-denominated yields on Ethereum. The reason for that is because the yield is being printed by like the core consensus algorithm of Ethereum itself. If that fails, then every app that's been built on top also fails. Right. So. So that actually marks as like the risk-free rate. And, and what we've actually done, we announced this in, in, in May, um, Sense has onboarded a yield-bearing asset that, that sources its yield from, from ETH2 yields. And it has created a term structure on top such that there's the Web3 yield curve. So currently out there on the one month, six month, um, uh, one year and five years, one can earn a fixed rate in ETH. Um, and we expect that every yield curve beyond that will actually be priced off of this fundamental like Web3 yield curve. But th this uh, this doesn't exist yet. You're saying that you're you're building this anticipating the, the yields from staking on ETH2 when it launches? So, so, so ETH2, um, ETH2 currently exists. It's not doing anything though. It's just earning yield, right? Um, ETH one one point X that currently exists too. And in in about six months, there there will be this merge where where ETH one will kind of live in ETH two. And so um, and so there are these things called staking derivatives uh, that live on ETH one that allow you to capture the yield earned on ETH two. Mm. And so we have taking those staking derivatives and we've added a term structure on top, hmm. thereby creating this, this yield curve. So what does that mean for somebody who just has, say, Ethereum sitting in a wallet or Nexo or somewhere? Uh, is th is, should they be putting it on Sense or somewhere where they can earn a yield? Or is this something that would be valuable to them in the future when the projects merge? Yes. Yeah. So 
So they they are able, if they have Ethereum and they're earning yield on BlockFi or Nexo, et cetera, they have the ability to take that Ethereum and earn either variable yield by buying a staking derivative or earn a fixed yield that gives them a fixed rate over fixed term. So um, I, I'm not going to share my screen, but I'm going to just tell you what the current prevailing rates are now. The currently OnSense, it's currently live actually. So OnSense, one can get a fixed rate of 6.33% per year for the next five years. Hmm. So that is, um, yeah, no, no, it, it's it's basically up to the user on what type of like interest rate they want. Do they want a variable one or do they want a... And how, how would somebody assess, like what should someone be thinking about when they assess the risk of that? Is there, yeah, how do you how do think about that? So, so there are two t- types of risks. Um, there is, well, actually, really, there's just one type of risk. It's smart contract risk. Um, so there's risk that sense does not function the way that it's that it should be um, at, in f- five years, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's a risk that this the staking derivative that it's been built on top, which is STETH in this example, there's a risk that that will not function, i.e. one may not be able to go from STETH to ETH after the merge occurs. Um, because, and, and then finally, there's the risk of Ethereum as well, right? But but that risk is, is inherent. If you're holding Ethereum, then you're basically accepting yeah. that. that and so I would imagine the sense people are less concerned with the Ethereum risk, at least they're less, they're more familiar with that. So they're looking at sense and thinking, okay, uh, what if uh, Kenton and the team run out of money? What if they, they all decide to go to Hawaii and, and not work in the project anymore? What if they make a mistake, program in some loophole and some hacker takes advantage of it? Are these the types of questions that, one should be asking themselves when trying to assess a project. Do these questions make, are they the right questions to ask? Should there be other ones too? Yes. 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 Yeah. The, 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 there is, that's all captured in the, in, in, well, I should, I should have been more descriptive actually. It's not just smart contract risk. It's like, operation like operational risk too there are protocol operations that need to exist and need to happen for it to function appropriately and the great thing i think that we've done and and like spent a lot of time building at sense is we've uh we we've tried to make it as decentralized as possible from day one now there are certain like functions that are like admin functions that the sense team has like the privilege over and these are just simply there for safety precautions Uh, in the event that something happens and we'll pause everything and ensure that there's like a there's a there's an exit strategy the great thing though is that none of these functions allow us or any like malicious actor to steal funds so as long as someone um like carries out these protocol operations at maturity, then you'll be able to get your funds then. Now, another like awesome thing is that since 
the the maturity too is actually a public function. So it's like anyone can access it. Anyone has the the, the ability to operate Sense, and that is because it's a public proid on Ethereum. As long as Ethereum exists, Sense will also exist, and it will just behave as it as it was designed. Um, so that's the that's the like power actually of some of these T5 protocols. Mm-hmm. You put less trust in the founding team, assuming that they have their own like sufficiently decentralized operations and you put more trust in the code itself. Mm. And how do you think about evaluating Ethereum at this point, given the anticipation of this merge between one and two uh, people often criticize the gas prices on an ether for making transactions, which is a major issue. Cause if you can't, if the, if the currency is not liquid, then it's difficult for everyone involved. Do you think they are, kind of falling apart, like becoming more disorganized, less compelling for developers to build on top? Or do you view this as like maybe some productive difficulty that they have to get to, get through to then be more powerful once they make this merge? Or I I guess another way of asking is, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? Are things trending worse and they're being outcompeted or how do you sort of make sense of the the ethereum world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so so ethereum is there have been a lot of like sobering discussions at the ethereum that that have been go- going on in, in the ethereum space over the past like year um they're they're being driven by they were driven by usage and what we basically saw is that users there, there is there, the majority of like new users coming in, into the crypto space don't value decentralization as much as the Ethereum like ecosystem does. So and so that, that's why they, there was a a big uptick in usage on Sol- Solana, Avalanche, um, Near, etc. All these other alt ones. Um. The problem with these other alt ones, though, is that they are not as battle tested as Ethereum. And like, if you look at Solana, it, it's gone down like, like over eight times this past year. And so, I think that application developers are going to consider that as they think about how to scale their operations and and what to build on next. And I think that. It's a it's a question that builders need to ask themselves and and like yes users yes builders are going to go towards they're going to build in a in an environment that users are most comfortable with and that and where users can afford right if the gas prices are so high and like mm-hmm. like a large chunk of users may not be able to, to afford that but they will also consider the downtime and how that affects user experience so i think that like this is all just to say that um ethereum needs to scale and if it does not scale fast then then these other like alternative l1s will will become more reliable and more battle tested with time and i think that the 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 ethereum space will have like like it will just have increasing it will continue to have increasing competition 
until it it, it fully like re- realizes the, the the future that's been laid out from several years ago, which is proof of stake and a sharding architecture, right? Where there are like multiple parallel shards on Ethereum that exists and like helps it scale along with like L, L, L2s. So there's other like L2s out there, Arbitrum, Optimism, et cetera, that are built on top of the L1 chain. Um, so, but other than that, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what will yeah. happen. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Um, I mean, there, there's so much pressure on the the core development team at Ethereum. Uh, it feels like, I mean, your whole your project, you know, you've raised money, so investors, you'll have like all the users, and you're, you know, one of, I would imagine, hundreds, yeah. maybe thousands, like of projects that are built on Ethereum. The the amount of pressure that's on the folks building at the core level and moving you know, doing everything you just described, making sharding more efficient and, and reducing gas prices. Like, uh, is there a, do we reach a certain point where you, I mean, does this pose an existential threat to sense and every other project on Ethereum? Is this, uh, is there a way to reconcile whether things are progressing or whether there's just a technical wall i mean do you suspect it'll be a breakthrough moment when the ethereum team is like hey we did it we figured it out or is it like slow progress month over month to the point where finally you know years from now there's something uh it's just difficult to read into the situation and yet the situation is so important yes 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 i think that teams so so there's not there's nothing that prohibits teams from being chain agnostic. Mm. And so they have and and we've seen that now actually. There are many like DeFi protocols that have started on Ethereum and they've become multi-chain. There's OpenSea on Ethereum, there's OpenSea on Solana, there's Ave, Ave on Ethereum, Fathom, Solana, Avalanche, etc. There are te- there are projects that, that that have already de-risked that that themselves from that few future, and then there are teams that have not yet, and they need to they just need to be prepared. Um, and it's something that we've been thinking on at Sense as well. We think that there's just the most capital and the highest like the most yield opportunities um, exist on the like in the Ethereum space, um, but like that will not prohibit us from thinking about alternative L1s and L2s, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, and then what else are you interested in? So you're building sense, you're thinking a lot about the Ethereum ecosystem, yield, product market fit, I'm sure product development. Um, you're tweeting, you're, are you writing actively? Uh, what else like generally comes across your plate or into your mind? I'm, um, I'm someone that 
I enjoy um, exercising. Um, I have been recently getting into a series called The Three-Body Problem. Uh, have you he heard of this one? Yeah. Isn't there a uh, science fiction book? Yes. Yep. As well? Yes. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So the, the series is that. So the uh, book series, it starts with the three-body problem. And, this, and the one that I'm cur currently on now is uh, The Dark Forest, which is book two. It's quite good, actually. Um, and I've been, when, when I'm not thinking about sense, I'm thinking about that. Um, because uh. what's the, what's the, what's, what is the like general plot line? It's a, it's a science fiction. Um, um, and you, you basically have a, um, in like an interstellar civilization separate from the human race and they are fleeing their world because it's, it's basically dying and they're moving across. They're basically going to migrate to earth and so the plot is um like earthlings trying to figure out how to address this um because there will be a, an eventual day when they all arrive um and so yeah no they, it like that's how the plot on on unfolds so. mm. you think it's realistic you think it could happen or may I, I, i'm not sure there, there, there's the fermi's <laughs> paradox right that it's like oh like there are hundreds thousands and millions of planets out there that like expect like if they're like the chances that we're, we're not seeing any life out there or have been given the opportunity to to glimpse at that um then like we should see life but yeah i'm I, i'm not sure what 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 are your thoughts on it do, do you have any like uh I, I think there's thoughts. <laughs> yeah, my, my intuitive thought is that there's life all over the place and that we're just not, we just don't have the tools uh, to observe them. And that the reality is that we're so far into this game. Like there's 13.8 13 billion years since the Big Bang. There's, you know, we're, we're over what, a couple billion years old as a planet. So, we're a sliver so no one no one realistically would know that we're here or if they did that we're not able to pick up on the communication method and that might be not photons traveling through space it would seem it would seem less interesting to me that the universe is limited in its communication of intelligent life on different planets by light I think, especially by light traveling through space, given how big everything right. is, it would just mean that there's this, these completely isolated places and planets that, and maybe there's clusters of planets that have like five, 10, a hundred thousand together. But for the whole, like I, I picture it as, I often, I find what's interesting is uh, this like circular repeating patterns of nature you know the way uh, a flower might unfold is the way solar panels sh should right. unfold the way th the mind works is the way computers work and they there's patterns like that in 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 the abstract sense it's not like they're literally geometric patterns but i think the connectedness of our minds all the neurons in the brain allow for a higher level conscious experience to happen in in my in my experience and then i think that that happens 
collectively, like as we as we're building Starlink and we're hyper connected together, there's a, an emergent phenomenon that then uh, develops its own um, intuition and like realization. And I think that that probably continues. That's pro- there's probably uh, like when we link up with and however we do it with other intelligence, then there might be another sort of a, this is probably thousands of years down the road, but hopefully it happens. Like you, I want to be the neuron that like connects into the network, not the one that dies off. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, my, my only criticism is I think we should be generally thinking more about taking in information from the universe as opposed to sending it out. So I love Voyager one and two, we blast these things out there. That's great. I think we should do 10,000 of those, like shoot out tiny uh, satellite, you know, put out messages in the bottle. Don't put one message in the bottle, put out 10,000, and then also have massive telescopes sitting on the moon to to take in as much as we can. It's great to go to Mars. Nothing wrong with like sending a robot to Mars, but it just feels like not the best use of attention to to just be driving robots on Mars. right. That's my that's my stick. I th- th- that is a future that is way more inspiring and exciting than than the oh we have the only life out there. Period. Like that would be so boring. So I am I subscribe to yeah. yours that like there is actually there is probably life out there and and it's just our job to survive long enough such, such that we have such that we have such edgy to eventually interact with them. I just read a book, it's called The, the Precipice by Tori Ord. He was a um, professor in ethics at Oxford. He's also one of the founders or biggest advocates of effective altruism. He basically, mm. The Precipice is a book that calls out um, existential risk to the human race. And he makes a case for why we should be devoting more resources and time towards ensuring that we, um, that, that, like that risk has been sufficiently mitigated. So it's been quite interesting, but it like ties into what we were just saying, right? Like if we get past the precipice, then we can hopefully like fully, like fully be on track to, to, to reaching the human potential. Which, however, one could t- mm. t- find that right Tra- traveling the known u- universe and, and interacting with other life, etc. Yeah, I also I'm also developing a, a greater intrigue for. Uh, I think that in the West, in particular, mm-hmm. like take European countries, America and Canada, like loop in the West, and we say there's certainly a contrast to the direction of our attention from the East, from like Buddhism and Chinese traditions and Indian traditions, they, oppo- they complement or oppose each other in that the West, we, we tend to look outward. We tend to observe, we consider science as what can be objectively measured and objectively measured is that, hey, do you report this? Does everyone else report this? It's a collective mm-hmm. subjective, but the same the same application of that scientific method could be applied to the directionality inward of what's it like to 
get into different states to go into dream world. And there's been some like, like Carl Jung studied this a lot. He was under uh, Sigmund Freud, but the, the energy comparison between the outward attention and the, the inward is dramatically different. And we have a lot to show for it. We have rocket ships and computers and all these things because we've manipulated the environment and understood it in a way to serve our purposes. Uh, and when you, when you, when you go inward, there's kind of just a, a wisdom or an understanding you gain. You're not building anything. You can't show it off. And so I think information transfer generally flows easier. It's more obvious to see the outside world. It's harder to, to, to like have that shared subjective internally. But I think that's what Buddhism is. I think that's what a lot of the Indian traditions have been about for thousands of years is what is it like to go inward? And I think that that, my hunch is that there might be something really, really, really interesting there when you can measure and apply this scientific method to a lot of people doing these mm. practices. Uh, layer in like psychedelics, layer in legalization and more funding towards this. And then maybe sprinkle in some quantum mechanics and wormholes <laughs> and who knows where what that where that goes. But it just it seems like there is uh, good stories to be yes. had there. Yes. I love how you've you've like it's not just like the individual experience, but it's a it's a collective one. It's an, an internal mm-hmm. so, like subjective but collective internal like internalization. Um experience that I think is a, it's a unique perspective and I haven't, I haven't heard of that yet, actually. Yes. It's easy for people to, you know, take the, uh, you know, like the prototypical academic physicist who is, uh, atheist and needs everything to be scientifically represented to believe anything. Uh, like I, I'm picturing, uh, <laughs> Richard Dawkins comes to mind as like kind of the, the pinnacle of this, uh, ultimate skeptic. And then they will, they will never take on board any, anybody's individual tale or experience because it's anecdotal. And there's a lot of legitimacy to that, that way of thinking. But then if you take hundreds of people who can independently reproduce it and retell the stories, that, that's kind of what's happening in the psychedelic research, which is why I find it really interesting. Uh, so. Who knows where wow. it goes, but it seems like it's going somewhere. And and just purely speaking from problem solving perspective, like the PTSD that veterans experience and depression and anxiety that people experience and the effect that even something as simple as breath work or meditation can have. It's like, I think about, okay, we want to solve a complex problem, product market fit, uh, right? How in, in the real sense, there's... um there's a creative necessity to, to be had there. It's like when you're solving hard problems and you're coming up with new ideas, it really helps to have mm-hmm. creative flow. And I think cognitive science can help in that um, real practical problem-solving creative flow generation, which mm-hmm. is super cool. What's the, what's the, the biggest, the largest like study or or research center that's like looking into the effects, uh, these like collective, these collective experiences that you mentioned, um, is there any, anything that I can follow? Yeah. One is, um, uh, the biggest is, uh, probably maps, which is the, I think it stands for multidisciplinary psychedelic study 
uh, multidisciplinary academy. I don't know what they is, but maps, you'll find it. And they're the ones who funded all the MDMA research and the psilocybin research. Actually, in Oregon, where I live, psilocybin is, is uh, becoming legal now for facilitators. So you can, and, and they're the, they're the organization that help raise money and change laws so that that can happen again. You know, after the last, after the 60s, 70s, psychedelics were put in, um, effectively like not allowed to be studied at all. Oh. So yeah, now, now that's the Pandora's box is opening again. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a close, uh, but yeah, yeah, they're a good place to start. Cool. Uh, Kenton, where are you on social media? You have uh, Twitter, uh, Kenton, I think it's just your name, right? Kenton Prescott with two T's. There it is. Awesome. And we'll include all the links for sense in the show notes. Um, anything else you want to throw out there? Um, if, if you're interested in DeFi, um, then jump in the sense Discord and say hello. Um, we have... Mm community in there that's excited to interact with others um they're excited about sense but they're also excited about this, just the general trends in tfi as well so hit us up my dms are are open and yeah excited to see everyone online cool man congrats on the progress keep doing it appreciate it mike all right bye, bye. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.